Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. We left off in John 5.41. This is a huge thing that Jesus says, and he actually really stands out among the teachers, the, the rabbis, the prophets, um, not all the prophets, but the, the people of the time. Because he says in John 5.41, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. First of all, just that, that one sentence, you know, I do not receive glory from men. I don't even receive it. And it's interesting because I've never challenged myself to say, you know, Lord, I actually want there to be sort of this conduit from anything that someone has complimented me on. I want it to go to your glory. In other words, I don't want to receive glory from men. You know, receiving glory from men, you know, especially in running a ministry Receiving glory from men or looking at numbers or being encouraged by certain people, you um, you have to really watch it. But it's in our everyday lives that we need to say, am I receiving glory from men? Am I seeking that? Or am I seeking to receive glory from God? Totally different mindset. Totally different. Your actions, your attitudes, your whole day will be different. And so Jesus says, I don't receive glory from men. And this is what I think is very interesting. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. What kind of love did they have? (laughs) What kind of love did they have? What kind of love do you have? I mean, Jesus knows what kind of love we have. And I know that a lot of people... And especially the people that he was talking to at that time, at that day, at that precise moment. He is saying, you don't have the love of God in yourselves. He's saying, basically, what else kind of love can you have? The love of the world. See, you know, we, we really, really have to get over to if God's pleased, I'm pleased. If man's not pleased, I'm, I'm okay with that. And that's hard for us pleasers, you know. We want everyone to be happy all the time, and they're not. And Jesus really rocks some boats here. The world's love, and I wanted to look this up for you. You don't have to turn there. But it's a great description of the world's love. In Matthew 5.46, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we need to kind of look at that and realize that he's saying, you know, everybody loves those that loves them. Everybody loves their family. Everyone loves those people that are important. Everyone loves to be greeted. Everyone, that's the way the world. And he's saying, But it's when you love those that don't love you. It's when you go the extra mile in God's love and you then are becoming more perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, I'm going to give you a big, oh, thank God, 
That word perfect means mature. And so Jesus is saying, grow up. I mean, seriously, if I, there are people that you almost want to not have them say they're Christians because they'll say that out of one side of their mouth and then out of the other side of their mouth, you know, they're really immature. And I'm not saying that I'm mature or y'all are all mature. I mean, it's by God's grace that we learn through the word and through actions, through doing, not just knowing. You can know a ton of stuff. It's doing. It's doing. And so we are being told by Jesus right here, right now, to grow up. Grow up. Learn to love God's way. You know, before Christ, the Jewish people, you would think, okay, well, how would they know how to love God's way? But they knew to love the Lord that I God and to have no other gods before him. In Leviticus 19.18, I'm just going to read one or two verses. It says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So they knew that. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. Love the Lord first. And then Jesus teaches in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of their heart and all of thy soul, all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay, that's what I get for downloading the King James again. I go, thou, thee, thy, thou. I love the King James Version because I feel like I can, I can look up words really easily in the Greek and in the Hebrew directly through the King James because of the Strong's Concordance. But it's sometimes a difficult version to say. And this is such an important thing. Um that I don't want us to, like, get tripped up on me tripping up. So I'm going to read it again. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. In other words, you love God with everything. You don't hold anything back. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When God is saying grow up, be mature, and learn to love God's way. He's saying, he's not saying memorize more Bible verses. He's not saying, you know, join more Bible studies. He's not saying make more friends. He's not saying be more positive. He's not saying any of that. He's saying, love me all the way, everything, and love your neighbor as yourself and walk that out in your daily life. Walk it out. Don't turn away from something you've learned and not do it. The book of Proverbs says that if you know something to do and you don't do it, that you're actually a fool. I mean, that is foolish. If you know the truth and you don't do it. And we even feel that way with our children. Like, he knew 
that he was supposed to brush his teeth. That was my, my morning was storm. This is my recompense is that he is going to be on the radio. He told me he brushed his teeth. Okay. I said, are you sure you brushed your teeth? And he said, yes, I am positive. I brushed my teeth. I said, Storm, I don't think you brushed your teeth. He said, no, whatever. I said, Storm, I'm going to go feel if your toothbrush is wet. And he goes, go for it, Mom. So he kind of waddles down the hall, and I go after him. I guess he's swaggering more. He kind of swaggers. He's got like a 10-year-old mojo. I don't understand. But anyway, and then right when I get over to the toothbrush, he goes, well, I actually mouth-rinsed with the, um, the Listerine. I did the mouth-rinse. I said, so you didn't brush your teeth? Mm, no, uh-uh. I said, but you told me you did. I mouth rinsed. It's like, you know what to do and you don't do it. And so often we know what to do and we don't do it. And we will slide something else in when God convicts us. God will convict us and say, you know, you know that I'm telling you to come and be alone with me. You know, it's hard to hear God if you're always talking or if the radio is always on or the TV's always on or if you're always with somebody else or if you're busy, 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 busy. And some people keep themselves busy to give themselves a false peace. So, you know, we know that God says, seek me. And so spend some time. Put me first. And sometimes we'll tell God, okay, I'll do that. I will. I'll brush my teeth. Actually, I did spend time with you, God. I actually did because um, on this radio station, this man came on and it was really moving. And I spent a lot of time with you because he told me a lot of things about you. That's not one-on-one time with your father. That's mouthwash. I mean, I hope you're keeping up with this analogy. But God says for us to grow up in love. And we know his definition of love is in 1 Corinthians 13. So this is how he expects us to be. And we're not going to be perfect all the time. There's no way. But with his help and with his guidance, we can do this. And this is what Christians should look like. What I'm about to read is what Christians should look like so that People will say, oh, I didn't ask her if she was a Christian or not. I know she is by her love. We're supposed to know others are Christians by their love. Do do, do people know you are a Christian by your love? And is it the world's definition of love? Or is it God's definition? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not easily provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Whoa. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, but now there's faith, hope, and love. And it tells us, abide in these three. So it's like, I mean, listen to what we're being told. Abide, live in faith, hope, and love. And I get convicted on that because sometimes I'm like, am I living in hope? Am I living in faith? Am I living in love? And I usually can answer that question by, am I doing something out of fear? Am I doing something out of what someone else might think or pleasing someone else? Or am I doing something God-motivated? Am I doing something out of love? Because fear says things like, well, we need to go to that party because if we don't, I'm so afraid that people are going to think that we weren't invited. (laughs) I've done that, okay? I have, like, dragged myself to, to places where I thought I am the walking dead of tiredness and I'm there because I'm thinking well I don't want them to think I don't like them you know and that's fear love says God you know what should I do and and we I think we even talked a little bit about that last time just just think about that what motivates you fear or love what motivates you fear or love because we're supposed to be motivated by faith hope and love and then 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, love never fails. When I was in the hospital um, after that last really long reconstructive surgery, five days later, my lungs filled with fluid, seven liters of fluid. And they didn't know or understand that. And my dad wasn't getting a reaction from the doctors and nurses at the hospital that I was at. And so he, he literally called, um, 911 and they sent over these like young fireman guys. And then he had me put on a, on a board because they just done back surgery, but I couldn't breathe. I kept saying, I can't, I can't breathe until I couldn't say I can't breathe anymore. And, I know that I somehow passed out, passed from the struggle and the intense um, pain of trying to breathe, the intense struggle of trying to live. I know that I passed from that into such a peace. And it was just incredible. It was in, into such peace. And I remember saying to the EMS guy, which I'm sure <laughs> later dad goes, I was in the front seat. I thought my dad was right next to me, so I said, I love you, daddy. So, I, you know, EMS guy got a little, little extra perk that day. But, um, you know, to me, it was like, I'm in God's hands. Love never fails. Love never fails. And that's such a longer story, but that's like an earthly father's love that won't quit, that won't stop, that's not afraid to call 911 when you're at another hospital. Our heavenly father's love will not fail. So when we are in his love and we know his love and we're maturing in his love and we are doing these things, we are patient. 
kind, not jealous, it, it will never fail. It will never fail. In the end, in the end, we are the victors. And, and we will meet so many people, I hope, in heaven that say, I'm here because of you. You know? I, I'm here because of you. And so you all look at 1 Corinthians 13 and, and look at that over and over at home. And think about which one of those things is the most difficult for you. For some people, it's not to seek your own. In other words, I have friends that are like, you know, I'm too selfish to have a baby. I mean, that's not like to say that everyone has to have a baby. And that's not to say that everyone that doesn't have a baby is selfish. But I am quoting one of my friends on something she said. And, you know, it, it's not really okay because we're not supposed to be self-centered. We're supposed to be God-centered. And then secondly, others-centered. God, others. And then when we are, oh my goodness, we're so happy. That's when joy comes because we're in God's perfect love. We're centered on God. We're centered on others. When we get self-centered, when we start to seek our own and try to make ourselves peaceful and, and try to do what we need and think about our needs, and most miserable people in the world that I know are, are like that, always thinking about what they need and how they can get what they need. And it's sad. It's sad because it's so simple. And Jesus said, it's just simple. Love God, then love others. And then when you do, it's like you almost forget about yourself, you know? And, and it's like, wow, that for some of us is a big deal, you know? And it's fun. It's fun to follow God. What else is a difficult thing for us? What about not to take into account a wrong suffered? Hmm. Well, it's interesting that this version says, don't take into account a wrong suffered. It's almost like it's saying, don't even take in that offense. Just don't even pay attention to it. Don't give it the time of day. And re, if you're going to respond, respond in love. Don't take into account. Also makes me think of like file cabinets and accountants. And women, and I have said this to women before, but women have like major amounts of file cabinets filed throughout their brain. And they can pull up files of offenses that, that you have done to, that people have done to them, their children, their husband. And um, they can bring out files from 50 years ago very clearly. Why? Because they've repeated it. Anything you want to memorize, you think on. Anything you want to um, memorize, you say out loud with your mouth. You write down. And, and God says, don't even take it in. Don't even take it in. It's so nice. I mean, I was walking behind a, a couple um, at HEB, and um, this young man was using the F word really loud around all these families. And I saw him on one aisle, then I saw him on another aisle, and then finally I was like, okay, God, you're, you're definitely telling me. And I said, and I, I just 
stopped him and John is laughing at me. I, I stopped him and stopped, stopped his girlfriend and I just said, you know, there's, there's so many kids around here. I said, there's so many kids around here. You don't have to say that. And then she said, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. And he looked at me like, do you want me to throw you out of this grocery store? I mean, he, he was much taller than I am, bigger. I had no fear. I'm not kidding. Zero fear. And I didn't even take it in. How did I not take it in? Y'all are the first people I've told. And it happened a couple of weeks ago. I didn't take it in because I went right from there to, okay, will you all have a great day? He must have thought she is a moron. I just stared her down and gave her the dirtiest look ever. And you know what? Sometimes for Christ and walking in his love, we're going to look ridiculous. And not even taking it in is so awesome because then you can continue to have a great day. I went down the popcorn aisle and I got my favorite kind and I spray it with Pam butter and I went and got Pam butter and then I said hello to a few people and I got in the grocery store line and I paid for my groceries and I never thought about it again until God just reminded me. So do we take in offenses? We need to really think about what do I take in? We know, like, what you eat has a lot to do with how you feel or whatever, but what about what thoughts we take in? And Jesus says part of walking in love is not taking in offenses. I'm going to go on to John 5, 43, because I think that I could just stay on this love thing and never move, never move. I have to say one more thing about love. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Just that it bears all things, it believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's my check to see if I'm in love. Do I let God bear all things? Do I believe all things that he say? Do I hope and do I endure? Do I keep going? This life is not a time to quit. <laughs> I tell young people all the time, something that's huge when you're 17 is not when you're 24. And sometimes something that's horrible and horrific when we're 45 is not when God has worked it out and made his plan clear. So God is saying, don't ever give up and don't ever give up on me. Never. And so love never gives up. And so that's why I know that no matter what I'm praying, no matter what I'm seeing in the word and I'm not seeing in my life, God has not given me permission to go, well, I just give up on that. If I see it in the word and it's the truth, then I am staying right there because I'm on the winning team. Love never fails. So, okay, now I promise. John five forty three. Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. John five forty four. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another 
And you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. What is a huge hindrance to belief? Jesus just gave it to us. Literally, when we turn it around and go, wait, what did Jesus just say? Because I have to do that all the time because he's deep. That, he, he's God. You know what I mean? Like, he's lay every, his word is alive. So every time we hear it and every time we read it, it's alive. It's alive and it's speaking to us and it's alive. And when I read that a, a couple days ago, a huge hindrance to believing and to living God's love is when we seek the glory of people. That's a huge hindrance to believing. Jesus says in John 5.44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another? It's interesting. I saw a political movie, and I, I don't even remember the name of it. I think it was called The Ides of March or The March of... Eyes of March. It was watching such jaded people who would flip from one side to the other dependent upon popular opinion. It was watching people who could look into a camera and lie without a second thought. It was watching people, and it's not just politicians. There are a lot of people, and, and, and why did they do it? Because the approval of God is not even in their radar. It's the approval of man. It's the here and now. It's what you think about me now. It's what you think about me in this life. And what a surprise it's going to be when they're standing, just them, in front of God. And being held accountable. Do you know we're even held accountable, and women don't like this. We're held accountable for every kind of like foolish word we say. And what God means by that is every word that's not of him, of faith. And that doesn't mean that we have to like, you know, start talking differently and be like, well, praise Jesus, I am just going to bake this cake. I mean... We just need to have it be in us and flowing through us. And you all know what he means by trivial words. Sometimes it's trivial words. It's murmuring. Do you know that sometimes trivial words is murmuring? And the Bible says murmuring and complaining. And the Bible says, talking to yourself, that... When you murmur, you let in the evil destroyer. Just like in the wilderness, when they murmured, they let in the destroyer. And I thought about that. I thought that is a huge result of murmuring. Um, You know how sometimes you're like, gosh, I've just got to clean up this whole house. Or I really wish someone would really get their act together. Or, okay, and you talk to yourself and... We need to be speaking God's word forth because we don't want to be opening the door to destruction in our own homes. We need to know that it matters to God the little things we say. Even the little times where we're like, okay, like I'm not supposed to tell you this, but in those juicy little tidbits that, you know, we don't even consider them gossip because we don't do it very often. It's like maybe twice a year, so it doesn't count. 
you know, I mean, we make so many excuses for ourselves instead of going, I, I want to speak what God wants me to speak. I want to say what God wants me to say. I wonder if a lot of us would speak less. Sometimes in the desire to please others, we don't even want silence. So we'll say just whatever comes to the top of our heads. And then later think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. I've done that. I don't know if you all have done that, but I've done that. So it's just letting love speak through us. And a huge hindrance to believing and to living God's love is when you seek glory from people instead of God. And many of us have said, God, you know, I really want to believe and I don't know what the hindrance is. Wow. Seeking glory from others. I didn't know that. John 5.45 says, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. But you don't believe his writings. How will you believe my words? You know, we live what we really believe. We really do. We live what we really believe. And I just was remembering a missionary. And that doesn't mean that everyone has to be a missionary. It, it, it just means that you learn, you learn your call in this life through being close to God and being drawn to Him. Your call may be to be a mother. That's the most important call your call may be to be a wife your call may be to be someone's best friend your call may be to go and be a missionary somewhere but your call is always always to walk and to act and to think and to talk in God's love so that you're a representative of him but in saying we live what we really believe I think Hudson Taylor is a really good example And right now, it's just interesting to me. I don't know if I'll read all of this to you, but I just saw a stat that said Christianity is growing faster in China than anywhere else on the planet at more than four times the national population rate. Okay, so here's this little man. In September of 1853, a little clipmaster slips quietly out of Liverpool Harbor with Hudson Taylor, the 21-year-old missionary aboard, and he was headed for a country that was just coming into the Christian West consciousness. Only a few dozen missionaries were stationed there. By the time Taylor died a half century later, however, China was viewed as the most fertile and challenging of the mission fields as thousands volunteered annually to serve there. Taylor was born to James and Amelia Taylor, a Christian couple, who told him about their desire for him to be a missionary. And he started immersing himself in Mandarin, the rudiments of medicine, and deeper into the Bible and prayer. He's he's 21, though, and he's on the ship on the way to China. I mean, I don't know about you, but I knew very little at 21. All I knew is I knew everything. That's what I knew. I knew that I knew everything. And now it's scary to think how little I knew. His ship arrived in Shanghai, one of the five treaty ports China had opened to foreigners following its first opium war with England. Almost immediately, Taylor made a radical decision. He decided to dress in Chinese clothes and grow a pigtail as Chinese men did. 
And his fellow church members were very critical of that. Does he care? No. See, Paul says, you know, when you're with the Romans, be as the Romans. When you're with the Greeks, be as the Greeks. And what, what he's saying is, fit in so that you can be a witness. Don't be a foreigner. Don't be a stranger. But just dress as they dress. Be as they are. Eat what they eat. You know? Goodness gracious, if I could just get my kids to eat what we eat. You know? How many of us have to, like, fix something else for the kids? So, here we are. Taylor, for his part, was not happy with most of the missionaries he saw. So is he popular? I'm wanting you to hear this because it's important because sometimes we think, you know, if I follow God's will and I, and I become a missionary and I do everything that I'm told to do, I will be so popular. No. No. But you won't care because you don't even take in the offenses. And your eyes are on God And your eyes are on others. And you just follow God in your own path. Taylor wanted the Christian faith taken to the interior of China. This had not been done. So within months of arriving in the native language, still a challenge, Taylor um, set off for the interior, setting sail down, and I cannot pronounce this river, distributing Chinese Bibles and tracts. When the Chinese Evangelistic Society, which sponsored Taylor, proved incapable of paying his missionary, their missionaries, in 1857, Taylor resigned and became an independent missionary, trusting in God to meet his needs. So he just completely said, okay, I'll just trust God to meet my needs, and went on from there. He had a family. Um, there's a lot about Hudson Taylor. But in England... After he returned to England, they think he, he got hepatitis after a while, and he had to go to England and recover. And in England, the restless tailor continued translating the Bible into Chinese, studied to become a midwife, because look what he's trying to do, serve the people. He's going to do anything to serve the people, and recruited more missionaries. Troubled that people in England seemed to have little interest in China, he wrote, its spiritual need and claims. In the passage, he said, Can all the Christians in England sit still with folded arms while these multitudes in China are perishing for lack of knowledge, for lack of what England possesses so richly? And that, that's so true. Even where we are right here today, you know, instead of having our focus on, okay, what do I need to get done today? Or what is... is my plan today. Do you know that all around us people are perishing? And that God just may tell you to contact one of those people or befriend one of those people or smile at one of those people or heavens, give a Bible. I'll never forget my Bible in the car and I stopped at a gas station and God was like, okay, give your Bible to the guy that's at the register. And I thought, that wasn't God, because that's weird. Well, God is really way out there anyway, because he already knows what the person 
needs and he's so much smarter than we are. We don't have to understand. And so I've learned finally that if I don't do God's will, I wish I would have. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's not that God's like, you know, some big punisher. It's just that you can just see that it's so much better than you could have planned or asked or hoped or think. So I brought this Bible. It was a message Bible. And it was uh, a Bible I had just purchased because I'd heard about the message Bible and heard that it was a kind of a street translation of the Bible. And I gave it to the guy, the cashier. And um, I paid for my gas outside, so I had to just go up and go, you know, God told me to give you this Bible, you know, which I've gotten to the point, too, I, I really don't even care if I look like a fool, you know. And he goes, oh, my gosh, I've been wanting one of these. I've been wanting one of these that talks like, like people. I heard about it, and I, I don't even have a Bible but I've been wanting one of these that like will talk the way you talk and, and I can understand. And, of course, I'm blown away and being female, I'm about to cry. And I'm thinking, I don't want to ruin his moment by being like, oh, my God. <gasps> uh, you know, so I kind of walk away like, oh, of course, of course, you know, which inside I'm thinking, oh, my God. You know, but that is what's so fun about following God. That's what's so fun about putting him first. That's what's so fun about loving him. And I just can't emphasize enough today, just like Hudson Taylor, if I would read the rest of his bio, it's quite long, but he wasn't all that popular. And a lot of people didn't agree with the things he did or said, but he only had to answer in the end to one and that's his heavenly father. And you will only have to answer in the end to one. And that's your heavenly father. What can stop us from believing? Jesus says it's when we care too much about what other people think. Go to livingjesus.us to hear the rest of Kathleen's message and hundreds more at no cost. Thousands of people in 40 countries download Kathleen's scripture-filled, Jesus-inspired, real-life messages at an increasing rate. Jesus said, freely you received, freely give, Matthew 10.8. If you are able, financially join us in reaching the world for Jesus. Go to livingjesus.us and freely give so that those who could never pay will continue to freely receive. 